When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dave here with a quick word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Football's right around the corner. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet one or more dollar on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 or more on any Week 1 game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. And Week 1, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a million-dollar top prize. $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching a game quite like that. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place $1 bet or more on any football game and get a shot at $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, and PA only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and a $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hey, Al McCoy here, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, the Phoenix Sun Show. Welcome to another edition of the Solar Panel. This is a midweek audio-only edition. Today's guest is John Schumann of NBA.com. He does power rankings. He did schedule analysis this past week. You've got to look at his work on NBA.com. Great guest. We've had him on before, and now I'm having him on again because he's got the Suns ranked number one in the West. So enjoy this episode. We go through the entire playoff picture for the West coming up, what teams are a threat to the Suns and what teams are not. And uh, it's a really fun episode. So check it out. All right. I'm joined by John Schumann of NBA.com. John, you've been on the show before uh, and uh, we really appreciate you coming back. When you were on the show last time, you explained to us the meticulous detail the incredible data mining that you do to show that your power rankings are better than anyone else's power rankings in the world. Uh, can you give us a quick recap for those who didn't watch the show, uh, watch that last show on, on how much depth you go into ranking every team in every conference? Well, I'll, I'll say that I don't go into much depth when it comes to the rankings themselves. <laughs> I go into the depth <laughs> when it comes to what I write about the teams. Um, 
you know, I, I think I consider power rankings to be just more of a notebook, right? Like a mm -hmm. league-wide um, notebook where I basically can dig into some numbers, maybe some film, um, that type of thing where I basically my goal with the power rankings and I don't achieve it every week with every team, but it's always just to say like, Oh, if you're a fan of the Suns, you can come to my power rankings and you've watched every game. You watch every single, you watch all 82. Um, but maybe you come to the power rankings and you might find something, you learn something that you didn't know, maybe a lineup that's working or isn't working. Maybe, uh, you know, how they're doing in this part of the game, you know, where a player ranks and some, um, advanced stat or something like that. Um, and so I, I put 99.9% .9 of the work into um, what's written about the teams um, and the data and the sort of notes and numbers. And then I sort of throw them in some sort of order uh, when it's time to do that, just to because they're called power rankings, basically, right. and they've got to be ranked in, in some way. Um, and I, I, I'm smart enough to know that the rankings mean nothing, right? It's not college football, not college uh, basketball where where I rank a team means anything. You know, it's not going to affect the postseason or, or, or the standings or anything like that. So um, I don't spend too much time on the rankings, although I, I certainly think about it um, to a certain degree. And I'm not going to. And if, if, if somebody questions where teams are ranked, I can certainly have some sort of argument for um for where, where they are. Yeah. Well, power rankings mean nothing unless they mean <laughs> something. And uh, that uh, when they mean something is when your favorite team is ranked number one by your, your favorite power ranker. Uh, we had John last time you put the Suns in the first, first position. We're having you on again because you do have released on NBA.com uh, Monday, I believe, or Tuesday, Monday, uh, you uh, listed out the off-season power rankings for the Western Conference. A week ago, you did the Eastern Conference. Eastern Conference doesn't matter until the finals, so we're going to just focus on the Western Conference. In the Western Conference, you have the Phoenix Suns ranked after after the off-season, after the draft, and, and most of the moves. I mean, there's going to be one or two moves. Uh, you may see Ben Simmons come west. We'll talk about that possibly in a little bit, uh, what that might mean. You may see, you know, some other small moves. You may see Thaddeus Young jump to a higher ranked team on the on the power ranking ladder or something like that. But for the most part, teams are set. And you've got the Suns in the number one spot. So I totally appreciate that. And I also appreciate the fact that it didn't matter if you had them in second or third or fourth. You still have the same analysis and you just put them number one because nobody's knocked them off the top of the perch yet. Um, is that, is that basically why you put them in the top spot because no one's clearly knocked them off? Sure. And if we look at the East, I had Brooklyn number one over Milwaukee, right? And you will, ah. so that's okay. a different argument. But if you look back at that, those two teams played each other and Milwaukee won in game seven by the thinnest of margins and Brooklyn was without... Yeah, by without Brooklyn was without one of their best players, and another one of their best players was hampered. Right, so to think, so that wasn't much of a leap to say Brooklyn's better than Milwaukee, um, mm -hmm. with both teams basically having um, stayed the same in regard to their core. Um, but in the West, to put 
any team over the Suns would have required much more of a leap, um, I think. And um, I think the Lakers might be a popular pick to win the West. But personally, I I have my doubts about the Russell Westbrook edition and regards and also um, the lack of depth as a result of that trade. Um, you know, the and the lack of sort of young depth, you know, guys that can eat minutes, you know, guys that can, especially up front, you know, now they have um, the Lakers, you know, they got Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk. Okay. But those are backcourt guys. And I think mm. they still need somebody to eat some minutes in the front court as well. So I, I, I just sort of, and when it comes to these and you'll see it in different places in the East and the West is sort of, I'm, I'm a, I sort of take a wait and see um, mode where it's like, okay, the Lakers made huge changes and they obviously have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That gets them to number two. But I'm in a wait and see. I don't know if they're the best team in the West just yet. Um, you know, I think the same, you know, with in the East, let's go to Chicago. Where it's like, okay, big changes. Definitely added some talent. That moves them up to a certain degree. But I'm not ready to say, oh, they're better than, you know, uh, let's say uh, Miami or uh, Philadelphia or something like that, just because I'm taking a it's more of a wait and see approach on 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 what the Bulls' uh, new team looks like, really. Right, exactly. With the Lakers, you do have them at number two in the West, and I totally agree. I mean, if you've got a fully functional LeBron James and a fully functional Anthony Davis, it's it's pretty tough to imagine a team beating them um, at the peak of their game. Uh, they uh, so, like the 2020 bubble uh, finals, you know, th- that whole playoff run. But uh, I'm really skeptical of the w- Russell Westbrook fit on that team because he just doesn't stretch the floor. I mean, their, their potential or rumor interest uh, in Buddy Heald, I think would have been a better fit for them. Uh, than Russell Westbrook will be in. But what I see here is that the Lakers are, I'm guessing, if there's a plan here, the plan is that the Lakers are saying, yes, but when LeBron or Anthony Davis is out, which they both missed a third of the season last year, Russell Westbrook is a guy who in the regular season can carry you. And maybe even in the playoffs, say that first round of the playoffs, could Russell Westbrook have actually helped the Lakers beat this, a healthy Westbrook help, help the Lakers beat the Suns in that first round, even with Anthony Davis hobbled in the last few games and LeBron James running at 70 or percent or whatever he was. Um, I'm not convinced of that because the Lakers had a great defense with or without those guys in the lineup. Those guys each uh, missed half, almost half the season and the Lakers still had the number one defense and what was really holding the, really made that uh, uh, that playoff round tenuous was the Lakers' ability to control Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And, of course, it helped the Lakers that Chris Paul couldn't move his right arm. Uh, but the uh, the overall thing there was that the Lakers almost won with their defense. Could they have won with a more dynamic offense with Russell Westbrook? I don't know. But I kind of feel like that's what they're doing is they're saying he's, he's injury insurance. But all three of them together seems like a tough fit 
It's going to be interesting. I, I would say I'm less sure that the Lakers could have beat the Suns with Russell Westbrook than I am sure that they maybe could have won more regular season games if they had Westbrook. At least right. the Westbrook maybe that they don't have the, the seventh seed. Yeah, at least the Westbrook that was playing for the Wizards over the last two or three months last season because his first few months were pretty bad. Um, and then they they the Wizards just had one of the remark most you know more remarkable turnarounds that we've seen in the last few years and their ability the push that they made to make the playoffs um yeah. was pretty phenomenal and i think he he was a part of that um one thing in in the power rankings when i wrote about the lakers is i looked a little bit at um westbrook with the rockets because that was one time the one time where he sort of took a back seat and if you look at sort of his time of possession um, with Houston, it went way, way down, and then it went back up again when he went from Houston to, to Washington. Um, and his efficiency was relatively high. He's not an efficient scorer whatsoever. He's one of the worst jump shooters in the NBA, um, at least one of the worst high-volume jump shooters in the NBA. Um, there are certain players that don't shoot, but he is willing to do it even though he's poor at it. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, the off ball stuff will be interesting. I think obviously they're going to have to try to run as much as possible. Right. And you, and try to defend at a high level. I think they did personnel wise, they took a step backward defensively. Um, but you've got to give credit to Frank Vogel for the sort of defensive culture that he's instilled there. Those, the first two seasons in, like you said, it was able to withstand the absences of James and Davis for several weeks. And it ranked fourth, basically, I think over the time there was, you know, a a chunk of maybe, I don't know, four or five weeks where they were both out. Right. And they, and the Lakers ranked fourth defensively over that time. So that tells me that they had sort of a defensive culture there. Obviously, you know, uh, Caldwell Pope will be missed. Um, So the question is, can they still defend that say, Hey, you know, top six, top seven in the league, and then run off of that. Davis, we know, likes to run. He's a guy that'll switch out onto perimeter players, contest a three, and then leak out. LeBron will throw a touchdown pass in that direction. And then obviously Westbrook is going to go get rebounds and then just run from there. And obviously he's, if, you know, if he can get in transition, that makes a huge, huge difference for them and for him basically because half court. Yeah. Half court, he's 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 you know I don't know, there's probably not a player in the league that that diminishes more when you go from transition to to half court offense. Yeah, that's interesting. You've got um, you've dropped the Jazz to third, and of course they finished the regular season with the most wins last year by one over the Suns. They made some changes. They made themselves a little bit more versatile with Rudy Gay and Eric Pascal um, in their front court rotation. Uh, you didn't list uh, the great Hassan Whiteside being added as their backup center and in in, in when you, you did the rankings, but that allows them to stay with a relatively perimeter immobile center all 48 minutes if they want to. Um, although they have made it so that they could go small ball, but I'm really skeptical that the Jazz would actually go small ball on purpose for a while because of the centers that they have, you know, have with Rudy Gobert and now Hassan Whiteside. Um, what made you drop them to third in the West for the coming season? 
I didn't really see it as a drop, right? I mean, they lost in the conference semis, right? So if you can consider the playoffs, they were the third or fourth best team in the West. So I, I didn't necessarily consider it a drop. Um, I just, you know, I just, you know, the Suns won the West. The Lakers have LeBron and Anthony Davis and the Jazz are next. Basically, that's um, that's the way I saw it. I will, like, as you pointed out, I will be very curious to see how much small ball they experiment with in the regular season. Do they use a Rudy Gay or Eric Paschal at center lineup on a regular basis for, you know, three or four minutes a half, five minutes a half? I'd be curious just to see um, how much they do that and, and, and whether in, in preparation for the postseason, perhaps um, it'll be interesting to see, like, um, you know, I think teams, I, I think that's a, definitely a, a thing you can do. We saw it. I remember in Oklahoma city with Chris Paul, where they played the three guards together. Hey, let's try this for a few minutes mm-hmm. and a half. And it turned out it worked really well. Um, and so I'll be curious to see if, if they just give it, you know, five minutes a half, of Rudy Gay at the five or Pascal at the five um, when Gobert sits. I mean, they had a very rigid, very, very rigid rotation last year mm-hmm. in the regular season. Like it was clockwork, basically. Um, you know, Gobert and Conley off, uh, Favors and Clarkson on, and then the other three starters off, Conley and Gobert back on. You know, it was very, very rigid. I'll be curious to see if it's one, if it stays that rigid, two, if they play some small ball. And then you have the uh, Dallas Mavericks at fourth. That's actually rising them up the charts uh, from in any, in any uh, consideration. Cause they, they finished, I think it was sixth um, with in record regular season. They lost in the first round. They swapped out basically Josh Richardson for Reggie Bullock um, are, are you counting on Chris Stapp being healthier and uh, Jason Kidd uh, being at least as good a coach as Rick Carlisle? Tell me what put you, what got you to put them in fourth. I think Dallas being fourth is more about the Clippers and the Nuggets missing guys for maybe all of the season. You know, I think it's more about so it's attrition. Ka- 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 Kawhi Leonard and, and Jamal Murray, really. Um, okay. And I do think um, – one thing to keep on an eye on as far as Kawhi Leonard is Spencer Dinwiddie, um, which is weird to say, but those are two guys that suffered partial chairs in their ACL. I'm not a medical ex- expert whatsoever, but I know Dinwiddie was a partial tear. I know Leonard was a partial tear. Dinwiddie was at the very beginning of last season, I think the third third game of the season, and he was cleared to play, I want to say, two months ago. Right. So and is expected to be ready to go in camp. So it for me, I see, you know, when I hear full ACL tear, I say, well, that's at least a year. Right. And maybe a year and a half before the guy is really back to himself. But I'll be curious to see, OK, is Dinwiddie really at 100 percent to start the season? And what does that mean for Kawhi Leonard maybe coming back in April or May or something like that? So. That'll be interesting to see, and maybe, maybe if even if Leonard is a hundred percent in April or May, the Clippers don't take that chance. We'll see. Um, but that's just a, a a thing, a thought of mine when it comes to Kawhi is that it was a partial tear, and that's similar to Dinwiddie, and Dinwiddie seemed to have a shorter timeline than um, 
guys with uh, full ACL tears. My caution on Kawhi is that he has spent the last few years being extremely conservative about his own injuries uh, to the point where it's created friction with his teams, right? Because yeah. uh, everybody, we're, we're all, I think, I'm, I know I am still shocked at how everything fell apart in San Antonio in the first place uh, with Kawhi and his, and his knee issues there. Um, then, cause no, no player in 20 years under pop had, had turned on the organization like that. And, and, and he did. And then um, going to Toronto and then now LA and there was some uh, whispers. I don't know how true they were about his dissatisfaction with, the Clippers even in the spring on, on his issues and then wanting him to play when he didn't feel like he could play. And then it turns out it is a partial tear. Um, I am a little wonder, I am a little wondering if he's even going to play this year, but if he does, he's one of the best players in the entire game, like top five. So that yeah, could, that that's, could it, tip it, the balance. Absolutely true. And, and even like Durant, we saw like Durant may have been able to play in the bubble. Right. But they were, they were like, no way, let's not, Let's not take any chances with this. We're going to wait till next season. And I, I assume even if Kawhi is back or, or uh, cleared to play, maybe perhaps by the, the medical staff or something by April or uh, maybe the first round of playoffs, whatever, that they would not take that chance, especially if they're a lower seed. So we'll see. Now let's go back to the Mavericks for a minute. So with the Mavericks, they, they didn't make a ton of changes. I am personally skeptical about Jason Kidd's impact on the team versus Rick Carlisle. But if you have a better relationship with your players, then, then that's great. It seems like we didn't know about Rick Carlisle fallout with his players until after the season was over. Um, as far as Dallas on the court, you've got a very Lucas-centric offense, which is incredible. Um, and then you've got a defense that just needs to hold up enough uh, to, to, to hold off the other team more than, you know, at least uh, giving up at least a few more, few, fewer points than the offense. So I can see why everyone's really excited about Dallas every year and their potential, but what do you think, uh, what do you think really needs to uh, come out this next year to sh- to show the world or show the league or whatever that Dallas has a higher ceiling than a first round playoff exit. Well, I mean, there's, there's two reasons for optimism. One is, is it shouldn't be too difficult to not be a bottom 10 defensive team, right? They ranked 21st defensively. That was a fall back from the year before. Um, If you actually look at kids first year in Milwaukee, that was one of the biggest defensive improvements like in NBA history, <laughs> yeah, but true. that was like, he changed the scheme. He had them play more, much more aggressively. It worked for a year and then it sort of um, fell off after that. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I'd be curious to see if he changes the scheme. I mean, he is coming from LA where they had certainly a, a defensive culture. They had number one defense in the league. So maybe he picked up some things there. Um, and then, Shoot, like Luka Doncic is 22 years old. Like, <laughs> like pretty yeah, incredible. He can get better. He can certainly get better because he's not mm. the most effective shooter in the league by far. Like he's a below average three point shooter at this point. Now, obviously, he takes difficult threes, and that's part of it. But he could certainly get more efficient scoring wise. Um, 
and so I think, yeah, I think there's no reason why they don't take another step forward, even if it's a small one, um, just because, and, and they have other young guys, like Porzingis is still fairly young. Jalen Brunson mm-hmm. is a, is a guy who's, uh, who's young. Um, I pointed to Porzingis's defense. I think that's where he really fell off. Like, you know, offensively, it's going to be tough for him to really get totally comfortable given how uh, ball dominant that Doncic is, but defensively he can be much better. He was a much better rim protector than in previous seasons than he was last year. And I think if he does that, then obviously that helps the defense and, mm-hmm. and, and that helps them overall. They tried more than I thought they would to play Chris Stapps as a power forward last year with a, with a true center next to him. Um, do you feel like their, their best, uh, their best chance to win, at least in the, in the playoffs, if not most of the regular season, is having Chris Stapps at the five, or do you think he's better as a as a weak side rim protector and and a second big on the floor? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it depends on how do you qualify. What do you what do you call Maxi Kleba when he's playing alongside Porzingis? Like, because offensively they both can spread the floor, right? Kleba yeah, can also roll to the rim really well too. So like it what position they're playing offensively, at least depends on the possession, I guess. Um, That's true. You know, I do. Yeah. I do think that they're missing, I guess, Finney Smith is a three, four, but beyond that, I think they could probably use another like three, four guy um, versatile, small versatile forward that can shoot obviously and defend and play both forward positions that would give them a little bit more, um, versatility because they are kind of packed in the sort of five. Like if Cleaver's a Cleaver's a five, then Porzingis is sort of a five, and then they have Powell and Cauley Stein mm-hmm. and Boban, you know, and so right. that's a lot of a lot of bigs that probably are all best playing the five against uh, with a versatile four. And and Finney Smith is that guy, I guess, but um, I probably could you they could probably use another one. Yeah, just for Dallas's sake, I worry. I mean, obviously, as a Suns fan, I'm okay with Porzingis being stuck on the perimeter as their four uh, because they have half a dozen fives. It looked like they're intentionally making sure that kind of like Anthony Davis in, in L.A. And, and New Orleans before that, intentionally making sure he's not the only big on the floor most of the time. Um, but as a, if I was a Dallas fan, I'd be a little disappointed that you're allowing him to settle for jumpers so much and uh, get him away from the rim on offensive rebounds and, and weak side shot blocks and uh, on defense and stuff like that. So, I mean, as a, if I was a Dallas fan, I'd want Porzingis to be a much bigger uh, role in that, in that offense, but maybe this was all by design because he was, he was a, uh, not totally healthy last year. Maybe this year he'll be better. Yeah. Uh, um, the one thing I loved, I used to love is the, the Dirk get the switch and, and, and post up at the nail play that yeah, they would yeah. run. And I, he's, he's perfect for that. Right. Like if, if he just sets a switch, a high release. Yeah. Yeah. And they get the switch. Dirk would just, okay. Seal this, the guard. And I've we've seen Porzingis do this from time to time, but just not nearly at the volume that Dirk did basically seal the guard at the middle of the foul line catch it there and, you know, back him down maybe a little bit or just shoot right over him. I mean, Porzingis is, is better suited for that than anybody. He's 7'3 with a high release, like you said. So that's one way 
where he's not just catching and shooting from 25 feet out where he, but it's, it's, you know, it's not, he'd have to really be a master of that shot to, to make it a, an effective play uh, for multiple possessions a game, I guess. Yeah. All right. So the Clippers, like you said, you knock the Clippers down because of the likelihood of Kawhi missing most of the season. Uh, Do you feel like, let's talk about the Clippers for a second. Do you feel like, usually when you, when a team has an outlier season in some area, they come back to earth a little bit the next year. And last year, the Clippers were just so incredibly good on threes. I mean, just like their players just didn't have that reputation throughout their careers as being so good on threes. And yet as a team, maybe it was the scheme, maybe it was the confidence built within that scheme, whatever it was, is, I mean, you've got, you've got it listed here in the, in the power rankings. I mean, they led the league in three point percentage, uh, the fourth highest mark in NBA history, but they also led in catch and shoot percentage corner above the break and pull up. I mean, uh, just, uh, in the top three, um, in pull-ups and led the league in the other three. That's just, I don't, I don't see how they can repeat that. <laughs> I believe in Paul George. Um, he's the only guy I think I said who's shot what did I say? Better than average, I think, on 200 catch and shoot threes each of the last five seasons. And he's been a consistently terrific three-point shooter. Yeah, true. Um, can Marcus Morris and Nicholas Batum replicate what they did last season? Uh, maybe not. And and maybe that's just because they don't have Kawhi Leonard also. You know, like that having two stars on the ball makes it easier off the ball. Um so the question is, one, can George get this, the catch-and-shoot looks that he was getting last year with Kawhi Leonard out? And two, can those other guys shoot as well? Um, that's tough. And I think, like, you have their secondary playmakers are now Eric Bledsoe, Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, maybe. Um, like, they need all of those guys to have good seasons for it to, yeah. to, yeah, to, to come back and, and still be a top five offense. And maybe that can happen. I, I sort of have my doubts. Maybe they fall to ninth or 10th offensively. I don't know. George is Paul George is fantastic. Like he yeah. gets, yeah. he gets a, a lot of crap, but he is an absolutely terrific player on both ends of the floor. Um, and, and is probably underappreciated. Um, and I believe in him. For sure. The other guys, it's, it's, they, a couple of them had, you know, Terrence Mann had a breakout. Reggie Jackson had a breakout. Now let's see. Okay. Can they sustain it? Um, and then the two vets, Morris and Batum shooting, having their best season shooting wise was, um, you know, obviously reason to think that they'll take a step backward uh, this year. Well, I'm, through, from the playoffs, because that's the most time I spent watching the Clippers, especially in the series against the Suns and also the series prior to that uh, when they were playing the Jazz. I'm a huge fan of Terrence Mann, and I've become a huge fan of Reggie Jackson just because of how he really just remade himself into a really, really good player that um, deserves a lot more than the uh, 10.5 mil or whatever he got uh, this offseason because that was the most he could get after ha- having signed a minimum deal the year before. Um, 
<clears throat> from the Clippers anyway. Um, big fans of those guys. Not such a big fan of Marcus Morris for for Suns history uh, buffs. Um, so I, I, I'm okay with Marcus Morris regresses to the mean or below. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> and Eric Bledsoe too. Uh, maybe uh, he's he's at how many different places he don't want to be here. Now he's 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 uh, in L.A. back where he started, and maybe he does want to be there. But he's also not a great shooter um, who's willing to shoot. So he'll give them some fun. Like he can, he can, he'll give them something off the dribble that maybe that they were lacking, um, you know, last year. I mean, one thing yeah, about he, them early in the season, can definitely get to the rim and bounce off yeah. of guys and make the shot. They, they did not get to the rim much last season, especially the first half. And then Kawhi started getting to the rim. I think he got his legs under him in the second half and he started driving a lot more in the second half of the season. But um, so yeah, he, he gives them a little bit of an element that they didn't have and that is ability to maybe push in transition and, and then get to the rim a little bit. Yeah. All right. Now the Denver nuggets, man, uh, the Denver nuggets, because they're going to miss Jamal Murray. I think that's the main reason you're putting them all the way down at sixth. This year, do you see other areas of regression for them besides just the fact that they're missing one of the best shooting guards in the league? Uh, that's a good question. Um, possible regression with Denver. Uh, I mean, I as, as a reason, you put him at sixth, or is it simply the Jamal Murray? I think part? it's just the Jamal Murray thing. And then we got to see. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, Jokic is, is the best offensive hub in the NBA, but you need a little bit, you need something off the dribble, right? And Murray provided that. Um, and then, so the question is, can Porter provide that? He's been more of a, I mean, he, he's a good pull-up shooter, but not at a high volume. Is he, can he run pick and roll? He barely ran any pick and roll last year. Um, so I'll be curious to see. Um, I guess maybe I, I shouldn't doubt them just because they did have some success in the playoffs, being able to 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 knock off Portland in the first round. Um, I think they went thirteen and five to finish the regular season without him as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean it's solid. I I, I that's I, I I can't say I'm particularly confident in any team's ranking here that <laughs> that I had. So sure. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, uh, you're not going to defend it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like to the we'll death. See. Yeah. Well, you know, ask me again well, in, in, in December where, where they stand, but. Well, I'm totally with you though on the, on Michael Porter jr. Is a great, one of the league's best third guys, uh, because he can, he can feed off the other two guys. Like if you got Murray and Jokic ahead of him, He's the dude everyone just can't afford to guard well. And uh, because you're already trying to do everything you can to stop Jokic and Murray. Um, but as a second guy, he doesn't create like Murray does. One thing great about Murray is not an awesome distributor, but they don't need that because of Nikola Jokic. They play so well together. Uh, Murray creates shots by just all of his dipsy do's and turnarounds and step backs. And he's got, he creates huge space in the paint on step back, turnaround step backs. Um, Murray is just such a fun player to watch, uh, and uh, they're they are going to miss him for sure. So, if he's healthy by playoff time, then you know, all bets are off. But I can see why you do this. I was just curious if you saw any other concerns with them. They added Jeff Green, they've still got Jamichael Green, 
And um, they did lose Paul Millsap, who has yet to sign with anybody else, but I expect he'll he'll be like a Blake Griffin type signing next year where he just adds to a contender and they're like, oh, this is nice to have coming off the bench. And if he ends up in a big role, he ends up in a big role. Um, I think that's Jeff, how Jeff that's Green is a out. is a potential regression. Like I think his he played a little bit over his head last year in Brooklyn, um, as far especially with his shooting. Um, I would have loved to have him on the Suns for that reason, yeah. but you're right. If he's ripe for regression, then because um, that his was, was like bad. as good as he looked, yeah. And his, his defense was really bad last year, um, and yeah. so I would, you know, Denver ranking 11th again defensively. That may be a stretch. You know, that may be a spot where they take a step backward. Is is on the defensive end of the floor, even though Murray, you wouldn't say is 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 particularly important on that end i think their ability to just repeat that uh could yeah, be yeah. Uh, dif- you know difficult difficult right okay then you've got the golden state warriors um many not many but more than i expected uh folks are putting the warriors in the top three top four of the west uh because they're assuming a full or at least 90% return of Clay Thompson that I'm, I'm really skeptical of myself and um, bringing back like a former finals MVP, Andre Iguodala, even though he's 84 years old now, Otto Porter Jr. has a great skill set that we hasn't played well or been healthy lately. What do you think of the, of the Warriors chances to be a contender this year? Um, if you know, what has to go right for that? Uh, yeah, I think, I have him seventh. This is another wait and see team. Like, well, let's. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, Clay Thompson isn't expected back till December at some point, so he's going to miss a. I heard someone say the Christmas Day game game. against the Suns. <laughs> well, that's that's very specific for for yeah. <laughs> prediction. Six three months Four early, months yeah. out, right? Like, <laughs> uh, but you know, um, so that's one thing. And then obviously it's going to take him time to, uh, get up to speed. Um, the, the talent is there, you know, Wiseman, you know, Wiseman is a big question. Like, is he, is he still going to be a negative or is he going to be a neutral big man? Or is he going to be, um, a positive, you know, like what are we going to get from this dude in his second year? How much, how important was this summer, uh, for him. Um, and so I, I think it's, it, there's lots of questions with this. There's more questions than answers with this team. I think just because of the, yeah. because of the young guys, really. Um, I know, you know, that Curry is going to be great. Draymond green is going to be great. They're going to be great when Draymond plays the five, just because they have the wings and guards that can allow them. They can put some good lineups together with green at the five. Right. Um, and Iguodala is the one dude that can match Curry and Green as far as their intelligence on both ends of the floor. Like the one thing, just watching them last year, it was just so fun to watch Steph and Draymond work off each other and oh, improvise yeah. offensively when, when Steph was being denied all over the court. Um, but then you try to figure out, okay, are any of the other three guys like even close to being on the same page as these two? And the answer was mostly not. Baysmore a little bit, but Iguodala will be there. Um, it's just a matter of how many minutes. I feel like teams play. will leave Baysmore open every day. I, I just feel like yeah. every every play, 
you know, yeah. uh, if he makes it, he makes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And he's more. Yeah, but he's a smart to. player. Like I, I thought, like if he he could see what Steph and Draymond were doing and act accordingly, right? Um, whereas maybe some of the younger guys couldn't. Um, so they're going to be fine with, I think, in the minutes that Green plays the five, but he can't play the five. Like he's six six and he's thirty two years old or whatever. He can't play the five full time. So then what happens with their those other minutes? And obviously what happens in the minutes where Steph and Draymond are not on the floor? Um, that those are the big questions. And Thompson can help that if he's a hundred percent, but who, you know, when will that be? I guess is the question. And then sure, they they that that's a team that should be much better in April than they are in uh you know, October and November. Right. <clears throat> yeah, they're they're really curious. I've got I've got concerns on their on their behalf of their age. I, I just don't think putting Clay and Dre <clears throat> and Steph on a court together is as effective as it was two or three years ago um, this coming year, just because of both age and, and rehab. I mean, I I just don't see I can see Clay shooting lights out. That's great. But um is he more than Seth Curry, you know, this year, because he can't, he's not going to move that well on defense. He's got a lot more length, so he might be more effective in that area. But um, I definitely think uh, they're going to struggle a little bit more on defense than they hope to, but their offense may make up for it. So we'll see. Uh, Last, you've got the Portland trailblazers. Oh, poor Dame. Um, they did make the trade just this past week or so of getting Larry Nance Jr., who I think is a very, very good complimentary player. I'm not the only one, but I really do think that extremely good. I think they're actually better off personally. I think they're actually better off without Car- Carmelo Anthony um, because he had to take such a large role. He's better in a smaller role, which he, he might be more uh, plus minus or whatever game impact better for the Lakers than he was for the Blazers because of that. Chauncey Billups as a rookie coach uh, taking over for Terry Stotts. There's some newness there, but there's also he hasn't proven himself like Terry Stotts had. So uh, do you see the Blazers as being a team who could finish sixth but also finish 12th? Or do you think they're pretty solid there as a playoff team? Sure. And then like, let's just put the Lillard situation to the side. Let's Obviously, they can finish 12th if they traded Damian Lillard in in February or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, just as they are, yeah, I think, I mean, they've been the worst defensive team over the last two years. I think 27th or 26th two years ago and then 29th last year. Um, and, like, so who knows? Can Phillips – I mean, and there's there's certainly a ceiling with them defensively because they're so small in the backcourt. And Lillard – neither Lillard nor mm-hmm. McCollum is a terrific – is good – deep defender for their size as it is. Um, but can they climb to 19th, 18th on that end of the floor? Sure. Why not? And like, that makes a huge difference, right? Yeah. Like it does. And and that's the thing with every team is you, what you see on paper can be uh, much better if the team plays great defense, like the Knicks last year, right? The Knicks on paper were not a very good team, but then all of a sudden they have a top five defense. And then all of a sudden they're the number four seed in the East, right? Like, so, uh, 
and that was with the same basic, basically the same personnel as they had the year before. They didn't make many changes personnel wise from uh, the season before, but they hired Tim, Tom Thibodeau and he got them to play right. defense and they were terrific. And so big reason the Suns made the finals too was suddenly yeah, becoming exactly, very good exactly. on defense. The fact that they went from bottom five to top 10 in, in the course of two years. Yeah. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so can the Blazers climb 10 spots on defense? Like, and wouldn't that make a huge difference just to uh, in the, in the Western conference standing? I think so. So it's a, uh, it's yeah, definitely. Like you said, there's a, a, vol- a it's a, there's a high variance with this team, I guess, just because it's a new coach and Nance is an, an, an extra defender. Like if you have four good defenders instead of three, that makes, that can make a difference, right. In your rotation, right. Like, and, and back their their starting lineup actually was solid defensively last year. It was just their, when they went to the bench, they fell, fell yeah. off a cliff on that end. Right. And they got rid of the two biggest culprits in that regard in Carmelo, as you said, and Ennis Cantor. Although I think Cantor had a terrific season offensively. Um, offensively, but man, you, you, like you just said, you put those two together in a, in a, you know, in a front court, yeah. that's just big, big trouble. I actually had Cantor at third place for my sixth man of the year uh, voting because I thought he had such a great season offensively and he played all 72 games and he filled in for Nurkic when Nurkic wasn't there. He had he had really really good numbers and his on off numbers weren't bad in 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 uh in totality, um, but like yeah like if they get rid of those two guys they add Nance, um, you know I don't know who else is gonna sort of step in rotation wise is it is it Little Nazir Little maybe like I don't know what he provides defensively but you know. There's a, well, there's a the first time in years they don't have the hope of Zach Collins anymore coming in <laughs> to save them. So right, so I, I think there's nowhere to go up from but up defensively, and so you know we can obviously they can go down offensively as well, but we can sort of believe in them for the time being, I guess. Yeah, I'm trying to. Look, I'm looking at their roster too and i'm uh, yeah they're they're just gonna they're gonna have the same issues this coming year as they had this past year which is really good first team really skeptical uh questionable second team all right let's take a quick break for a 90 second sponsor ad attention listeners from across the galaxy all the way from australia to houston do we have a pube problem If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. With the code Flaming Ballers. That's special for you guys, our solar panel listeners. The code is Flaming Ballers for 20% off plus free shipping. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your entire solar system. 
Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FLAMINGBALLERS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FLAMINGBALLERS at manscaped.com. Your dick and balls need some help. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. Okay, so uh, one more question about the rest of the West, and then we'll talk about the Suns a bit before I let you go. Thank you so much for your time today, John. Um, sure. The rest of the West, you've got all those other teams ranked in the outside, basically outside playoff spots right now. Which of those teams do you think is most likely to be this year's, maybe not this year's Suns, but a surprise team that could be uh, make it to the middle of the West standings? playoff standings um, among, you know, Memphis and Minnesota, New Orleans, which, which of those teams could be the surprise that suddenly is, oh my God, this team is really good and will be a solid playoff team all year long. I mean, it's got, you got to point at Memphis just because of, you know, they have John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. entering their third and fourth seasons uh, respectively. Jackson didn't play last year, or barely played last year, played the last, played 15 games total, I think, in the playoffs and was bad. He was not good at all. And so if he's if he had a fully healthy summer and got his legs back under him, then he can make a huge difference um, with that team. And Morant, I mean, that kid, I mean, he's ridiculously good. So great. And he couldn't shoot last year. He was a much better shooter in the second half of the season. But if he just becomes, if he can just shoot 33, 34, 35% off on pull up threes, then that changes that, that, you know, changes the calculus quite a bit. Um, So that team is obviously has a, um, the ability to get, I mean, the ability, they were a playoff team last year. So they have the ability to, to stay there and maybe take advantage of one of these teams that slips. Um, Minnesota, I'm just curious about just because Carl Anthony Towns is fantastic. Um, and Edwards was really good in the second half of last season. They have not had their, they've not been healthy. Right. Right. And they have, and they haven't like uh, Chris Finch is in a new coach, but he basically took over in the middle of the year last year. So he'll get, he gets a full off season. I think that was like the first time do. in what 30, 40 years or something like that that a coaches come team. in to take over mid season that wasn't yeah, on the staff. Yeah. Yeah, that was wild. Um and so and I think uh so D'Angelo Russell, Edwards, Malik Beasley, and Towns played a total of 13 minutes together. And all those all four of those guys were on the roster all year. They played yeah. exactly 13 minutes together all season. So that tells you, you know, if they're healthy, they're a different team, right? Um, yeah. And they, you know, they bring in Beverly and Torian Prince. Maybe those guys can help the defense a little bit. Um, they were huge. They saw a huge jump in off on offense from uh, first half of the season to the second half of the season. Finch did some masterwork there. Edwards took a huge step forward. Obviously having Towns healthy for the second half of the season was a big difference. Um, so Chris Finch also mentioned after the season, I think it was after the season that he said, we're going to completely scrap the defensive game plan and start over because it was just so simple. Um, and yet sometimes when you say you've got a really simple defense, it should be repeatable and predictable. 
Um, I wonder if they've got the people to come up with a much more sophisticated defensive game plan, or if it's just a different kind of simple that works better. Yeah, I don't think you're going to have a good if, – if, if D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are your point guard and your center, I don't think you're going to have a good defense. I'm a, I'll yeah. just say that. Though neither of those guys has proven – and I'll think with Towns it's an effort issue. I think he's just a little – I don't know clumsy on that end of the floor or something like he just just not uh doesn't have the footwork or something that that for for defense i don't know what it is and russell's just been a bad defender for all or most of his career so um but they can obviously be better than 28th defensively every every team could not be in the bottom five yeah (laughs) every team has the potential to be not be not be in the bottom five on defense yeah no one's proud of being bottom five you ask all the bottom five teams, they'll say, uh, no, we nobody should you but they would say exactly what you say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you're bottom five, then that's that's not just personnel a personnel issue. Let's just say that. Right. It's commitment issue, it's understanding issue of the schemes, because yeah. it's what well, it was for the Suns for years. We watched it every single game was players not being on the same page and part of that was because they were checked out uh because there wasn't uh games of import being played and some of it was just uh inconsistent coaching and lineups and rotations and you're running through 20 20 players in a season and no one knows where to be at the right time and and um you know so wolves fans would say well you know what if devin booker and deandre ayton can be your your two most important players and anchor a number six defense or at least contribute to a number six defense, why can't Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell? And some of that could be commitment and focus and having the right coaching. And some of that may be that uh, Booker and Aiton were better than we thought they were the first couple of years. I guess we'll find out. Hopefully for the Wolves fans sake, we'll find out sooner than later for them before they've got to make some some big blow up changes and who knows they may end up being the ones who acquire Ben Simmons. And then all of this changes for them. I, I was seeing something like, how are they going to acquire Ben Simmons with not trading by not trading any of those guys though? Like I kept seeing, no, they'd oh. have to trade those guys. So they would have to basically Philadelphia would have to go, sure. Give us D'Angelo Russell or, yeah. know, or something like yeah, that. And my thing with the Russell trade or a Simmons trade, any kind of Simmons trade is, well, Philadelphia wants to win right now. Yeah, and they need yeah. to get a point guard back because yeah, they don't yeah. have a point guard otherwise. So I mean, it's not like so the Wolves start. are going. We got D'Angelo Russell waiting for you right here. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I guess that, but I, I, I can't imagine Daryl Morey is a big fan of D'Angelo Russell. Um, you know, he's he's very talented and he's got a great shooting stroke can really catch fire, but just does not get to the basket, does not get to the free throw line and does not defend. And that just doesn't. uh, Yeah. I mean, and he's, he's a really good passer too. Like he can be a really good pick and roll passer um, when he's in that mode, you know, when he's in, when he's got the right balance between shooting and and passing. And sometimes that comes and comes and goes. So I'll be fascinated to see what happens with Simmons. That's an interesting uh, sort of spot. Sacramento is another interesting one. Um, but would Fox be in that trade? I don't, you know, that's the one player that Philadelphia would need to get back because they, Oh yeah. You know, Simmons for buddy healed. Doesn't, 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 doesn't move the needle. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't fit. 
just right. you know, Buddy Heald doesn't play off the dribble. So, you know, what are you doing there? So you're basically yeah, getting I mean, a higher volume JJ Reddick there, which is not uh, Ben Simmons trade candidate. So, yeah. yeah, no, I get it. Um, it would have to be one of those. And that's why Ben Simmons is still in Philadelphia. So we'll see what happens. I'm actually done, a fan right? of, I'm actually a fan of, um, I don't know if they would do it, but uh, CJ McCollum. That seems that's been the obvious one for a long time, I think, just because he's a player who can play point guard, I think, for yeah. sure. Um, not not necessarily a, a great passer, pick and roll passer, perhaps, but can do a lot off the dribble and and is a mid range assassin and and really increased his three point range rate last year. So um that seemed like the obvious trade from 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 the start. Uh, obviously, there would need to be something else in there. Um, but sure. it, it, it but his like his salary is there. is close enough to to where you just need a couple of more pieces in there, smaller pieces to make it work. It's just whether Philadelphia think he's a move a needle mover or not. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, let's now let's go to the Phoenix Suns. We got to talk about the Phoenix Suns. Uh, this is a Suns podcast, so I want to spend a couple of minutes on this. Um, I hope you've got a, a few more minutes for me, but let's let's sure. dig in uh, to your Suns prediction. You've got them ranked number one in the West so far in this offseason, uh, with no reason to drop them. They did win the West, and they they proved to everybody. And you and you reminded in your first bullet point on the Sun, on the power rankings on nba.com that the suns weren't just a playoff wonder they had the best record in the regular season of of games played between the 15 teams that finished the season with winning records so they they beat the winning teams they had the best record on the road they had one of the best records at home they had one of the best records against this and that they were really good all year long and they were one of only two teams with top 7 offense and defense um, so again, so that, that tells you that the Suns were, were solid all year long. They weren't just a playoff wonder who got lucky with some injuries. Uh, your, your next bullet was an eye opener. You said you'd like to include something that, that even the most diehard of team fans would not have known off the top of their head for sure. Or even after looking at the numbers for a little while, I loved your second bullet in here. The sun shot 49% on pull-up twos which we all knew best mark for any team in eight seasons. We did know that part. Um, Paul's 52.5% on pull-up twos ranked second among 35 players who attempted at least 200. We pretty much, yeah, we, we could have guessed that. Uh, but your next point, the Booker had the second biggest differential between his success rate on pull-up twos at 49.9% versus pull-up threes at 30.8%. Second biggest differential among 54 players who attempted at least 100 of each. Look, Suns fans will read this and go, yup, that's what I've been watching too. But they would never have actually put that together without you laying it out like that, that it was such a big difference. Part of that is he's so good at pull-up twos. So part of that differential is probably none of the, most of the other guys were not that good in pull-up twos to start with. But it's like his shot is completely different on three pointers than two pointers. Have, have have you noticed anything like that? What 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 explanation might you have for him having such a difference in, in That's a making good question. Um, those shots? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, 
obviously one thing that Chris actually told me once is that he doesn't want to shoot um he doesn't shoot long pull-up twos. Like he Chris Paul is the mid-range master, but he avoids yeah. the he avoids the 20 to 23 foot range, right? Like Absolutely. he wants to get to the 15, 17 feet. Um, so I don't know if, if Booker is, is, I'd have to look at where he was as far as long twos. I think he was, I don't know. If he's he's not a maybe, long two guy. His only yeah, long twos are the also, ones where he gets his toe on the line. Yeah. Uh, but he's not a 20 or 23 foot right. guy. So too. he's, yeah. So maybe we're talking about a big difference between 18 feet and 23 feet. I mean, I know, shoot, uh, sounds silly, but when I step onto a basketball court, I shoot very comfortably from the high school three-point line, right? The 19, yeah, yeah. and you put me on an NBA court and tell me to shoot threes, it's a, I, I'm not, I ain't yeah. doing it. I've done it before too. It is amazing, isn't it? You go, to- <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, That's so I, I, there is, we should, you know, there is a difference between shooting from 20 and shooting from 23. Um, and so, but yeah, I, I I'd have to look at his um, pull up threes in previous. Uh, He's been bad every year. Yeah. So, and yeah, maybe it is a different shot. I think we he just sort of maybe he, I think he launches a little bit more. Whereas his his pull up two re- release might be higher. Whereas pull up three might be coming from a lower spot. Might be a totally different. It is coming from a lower spot. Totally. So if you watch his two pointers he is a master at rising up and getting the highest release point possible and it's almost like it uh his release is at rim level and so he's just going you know right in his three pointer is much lower release point and much more um i I don't want to say slower because he's so fast he's just he's quick He's and, and he's won three point contest. You know, he won the three point contest one year at, at All Star Break, and he came in third once or twice more. Um, he's got a great release. His problem is that it's a completely different body motion. He doesn't release from the same spot as he does on every other shot in the game, and so it's just it's crazy how inconsistent he is. Uh, Suns fans have been talking about for years if he would just focus on threes one off season, just focus on them because I think. Our guess is that he just assumes he can make them because he's won contests and he's such a good shooter. And when he's in warm-ups, he just makes them all. You watch him in warm-ups an hour before the game, he won't miss a three sometimes. Yeah. just won't I, miss. I think it's fine to have a, a different release point as long as you've mastered both of them. Uh, I think Chris has done that in the past where he started taking step where he would, when he gets ISOed against the big guy and takes a step back three, that's a different release point than his normal jump shot right like he's he's almost shooting from behind his right shoulder um if you watch him and it's totally but he's good at it it's not like he's he he he's he it's uh it it affects him much like he 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 has two different release points on those two different shots and he's and he's good at at both of them so it's not like booker has to you know turn his three-point shot into the way he shoots the twos it's just he's got to master whatever he's doing from three-point range he's got to you know get better at it yeah so we'll see we'll see what what booker does i i personally feel like it's just a focus thing like uh he's you win in the playoffs by making your twos in in the paint because that's what teams want to give up and he became excellent really really great at that 
Now he just needs to add the three back. I think he just forgot about it last couple of years, assuming he could make them. Uh, the next thing you did is the, the Suns, and and we and we know this like theoretically, but you again uh, came up with the numbers to prove it. Uh, but in the regular season, the Suns, Suns outscored by 5.7 points per game, the league's worst discrepancy, uh, combining points in the restricted area and on free throws. Yes. So the Suns went from 10th or 11th in the league two years ago when they were 34 and 39 um, in free throws per game, then down to last last year. And the big difference is literally four to five, three throws a game because teams are so tightly bunched. All these, all these rankings, teams are so tightly bunched. You're, it's a little surprising how close they are to each other, but um, they lost four or five, three free throws a game. And that was Kelly Oubre. Basically they replaced Kelly Oubre with Jade Crowder who never takes a three. Um, Michael Bridges, I'm sorry, sorry, uh, never drives to draw a free throw. Uh, Mikel Bridges never drives to draw a free throw. Uh, and so you've got, you've got that. Um, I think the Suns are still going to have that same problem this coming year. What I've told DeAndre Ayton uh, in a joking way is he's got to figure out how to throw himself down and, and yell really loud when he gets touched. Cause the dude does play a fairly physical game unless he has the ball in his hands. Uh, and when he has the ball in his hands, he tries to either avoid contact or just absorb the contact. Great. But what other players have done is figured out how to scream when they get touched at all. And when he's so quiet, the refs have nothing to call. So is there a final game where he went like one for five or something at the basket in like the first half? I forget which game it was, but I remember like, man, he is not finishing whatsoever. No, he got it in his head. So his finals, yeah. you you missed. Uh, we talked about it before we went on the air, uh, John. You uh, um, you had to check out for family reasons, um, just vacation reasons and stuff like that after game two of the finals. And so I wish I could have done that. Um, the <laughs> the Suns just suddenly the the Bucks figured out how to just pound 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 pound, and DeAndre Ayton was stuck being the only dude in the entire Suns team that was over six six that could defend. Um, uh, Giannis and the Bucks went to ISOing Giannis on the wing almost every time he got the ball, and he figured out how not to turn him to run himself into offensive charges. And DeAndre Ayton, I don't think he's taken a charge his entire career. I could be wrong, but I guarantee it's in the in the in the single digits if he's taken any at all. Um, and so the only way you can stop Giannis is to induce him into turning the ball over. Um, either on a charge or or making him take a bad shot. So it was it turned out no matter how hard Aiden tried, the problem was he was the only he had to stay on the court 45 minutes. So he couldn't draw he couldn't commit fouls and he doesn't know how to draw charges. And so it got in his head. And by like he went from 80% conversion rate, you know, in the first few rounds to game six where he missed Although he looked like a, a guy who had no idea what he was doing out there. And it just got in his head. And he wore down. Um, he's so going to have to get better. So your point is good. So, like, they have a primary ball handler, Chris Paul, who doesn't get to the rim, right? Uh, gets to the line a little. He obviously can, is, is crafty and, and can get to the line a, a good amount. Um, but they have a power forward Crowder who doesn't, who shoots like 70% of his shots from three and doesn't get to the rim, doesn't. Uh, uh, gets to the line, uh, bridges, you know, he'll get to the basket a little bit more, right? He could attack on the second side a little bit and obviously runs the probably one of the best 
players in the league at getting out and running. He is Kerry Kittles reincarnated by in, in my mind um, in that regard. Oh, um, interesting. But oh yes, why well, I, I I think tweeted I watched I remember watching Bridges one game last season. It was like man, he reminds me of Kerry Kittles. And and the the coincidence is they both went to Villanova. Um, and then I watched some you know if you look up Kerry Kittle's highlights or something like that, you watch him running the floor and you're like, Holy cow, that's Mikhail Bridges. It's the exact uh, same thing. But anyway, I, you're right. Like they have guys who, uh, a guy who plays a big position who doesn't get to the line and a primary ball handler who doesn't get to the basket. Um, and that's an issue. Maybe they just need to maybe try to run a little bit more than they have in the past. I know that's tough when, when Chris, Chris doesn't wants like to, to run. Walk, yeah. Walk the ball up the floor, but um, maybe, you know, he can pass ahead to, to Bridges a little mm-hmm. bit more. Or Booker can pass ahead, you know, let Bridges run, let Booker run, let Aiton run. You know, he can beat big other bigs down the floor mm-hmm. um, and try to get a little bit more in transition in that regard. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, it, it, you wrote that it still feels like they're missing a piece on the front line, especially with Dario out most of the season, if not all the season. Uh, McGee does it will be able to help. I mean, he wouldn't have been able to help on the island against Giannis, but he could have been in the lineup defending uh, Lopez, who became basically became the dump off option or the or the the other guy who could kill the Suns when when Aiton was focused on on Giannis. So uh, I think McGee will help a little bit. I mean, let's not overstate McGee. He's going to be 15 minutes a game guy, um, but he's he definitely can can help more than other guys on rim protection and things like that. Uh, but they are missing someone. Uh, it had, I know you're, you're not a rumors breaking guy or anything like that. Um, but like, I'm not, um, but if they could acquire a Thad young, Thaddeus young, if the Suns could do that, do you, uh, what kind of difference do you feel like that could make for them? If, if any, that could be huge. I mean, he was terrific for Chicago last year. Um, you know, went sort of under the radar. Like I remember halfway through the season, we were asked to do our picks for awards. And Thaddeus Young was my sixth man of the year award pick halfway through the season. Um, he had, I think he fell off a little bit in the second half, but he was one of these guys. He just filled the box score. Uh, Thadjik Johnson, as they called him, because he was uh, getting Thadjik assists. Johnson, I like that. But um you didn't hear that. You don't. You didn't even heard that. No, that's awesome. <laughs> I think he did average what four point three assists last year. It's crazy. It is, only I think it was a Stacy King thing where he called him Thadjik Johnson. I believe it. It came. It started with with Stacy King, um, but he had a, a incredible on off differential where the Bulls were like ten points or something per hundred possessions better with Young on the floor than off, and he played some small ball. Five, he played five. He played backup five nice. quite a bit. Uh, for Chicago last year. Um, and so I think that's that's something he can do. Um, I, I think McGee is can be important just because he's, you know, the one thing that Sarich and, and Kaminsky didn't do, they, they have no verticality offensively, right? Like, so if if McGee is just even just or catching a couple of lobs from Chris Paul uh, per game, that's something that they didn't have from their backup centers last year. Um, and so... I, I think, and that's important to know. know because Chris Paul actually played a lot of time with the second unit last year to help them stay keep afloat while the yeah, rest of the starters sat. So Chris Paul might actually get five ten minutes a game with McGee this year. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I think 
uh, Young could definitely help. I have no idea what's going on with that situation. Um, obviously, he, you know, San Antonio traded for him, or that, you know, that was part of the the Rosen trade, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. maybe San, it was just a salary thing. And so South San Antonio isn't interested. They obviously got rid of their other vets. They got rid of DeRozan, Patty Mills, Rudy Gay. Um, those were their three uh, yeah. sort of standard bearers for the last three years. Um, and so maybe they're, I think he could help them. I'm, I'm, I have no idea what to expect of San Antonio this year. Um so I wouldn't say he's pointless there, but yeah, I'd be curious to see if, if he, if he moves on. Yep. We're, we're waiting with bated breath. I think the Suns, even without him are still just as good as they were last year with him. They, I, I do think they could be better. Depends on what they have to give up. If you've got to swap Jay Crowder for him, maybe it's less of a major positive because Jay was so good defensively and, and on just being unconscious on taking the threes when they were there, forcing the defense out to the perimeter. Uh, whereas Thad wouldn't be doing that. So, okay. Well, thank you so much, John Schumann. Tell us where we can find you and what is coming out um, uh, that you're putting out um, during this off season when everyone's so bored. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have the two editions of power rankings that came out. Uh, you can find me at uh, my Twitter account, John Schumann, J-O-H-N-S-C-H-U-H-M-A-N-N. Um, but yeah, after that, now now it's it's really starting to plug away at season preview stuff. So I necessarily won't have anything out there um, coming in the next couple weeks. It's it's uh, uh, plugging away at our season preview stuff, which should come out in early October. So nba.com, uh, yeah, okay. yeah, and but there's there's some you know some good stuff. Uh, from previous, I did a, st- a schedule breakdown uh, last week, and also looked at some uh, sort of the where the in another article where so there was eighty something players who shot better than average from three point range last year on at least hundred attempts. I sort of looked to, did a breakdown of where they were and where they are now after after free agency. That is great. You know what? I need to go look at that schedule breakdown because I haven't had a whole lot of time to really dive into that. So everyone go ahead and look at that. Thank you so much, John, for getting on with me. I really appreciate that. And you can find me. My name is Dave King and or my Twitter handle Dave King NBA. And you can find my writing at brightsideofthesun.com. And of course, on the solar panel podcasts. So thanks everyone. And, and y'all have a great day. <laughs>